Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This podcast is part of the 76ers Podcast Network. Search 76ers Podcast wherever you get your pods. On this edition of Tom's Talks, we touch base with former NBA referee Joey Crawford. A Delaware County, PA native, Crawford wound up working over 2,500 NBA games in addition to 374 playoff games, including 50 in the finals over a 39-year career. Crawford is now working with the league to help to develop the NBA's younger officials. But what led me to Joe Crawford at this point in time is his involvement in a Get Out the Vote initiative. Crawford created a video involving several Philadelphia-area basketball folks. Here's my conversation with Joey Crawford. Welcome once again to an edition of Tom's Talks, and we're joined by former NBA referee Joey Crawford, and this is thrown around a lot, but a truly great guy who goes beyond a man that ran up and down a court for nearly 40 years with the whistle. And Joe, thank you so much for, for joining us here today. Thank you for having me, Tom. I, it's, it's a joy. I love talking about our sport. Well, and we rekindled in recent weeks, and, and you got involved with, like, to put out uh, a message about voting. And you got guys like myself and people in and around the Philadelphia basketball community to make a video, and it was very simple, to put out the word, if you will, vote. What was the genesis behind that? Uh Last year, I was at a function with Senator Anthony Williams, who's an awesome guy. It's like the second time I met him. But my real good friend, Mo Howard, who a, was a tremendous Philly player, played at Maryland, played in our league for a couple of years with uh, New Orleans Jazz, I think, at that time, and, and Cleveland. Well, Mo, And I reffed Mo in the old Baker League in Philly. Mo and I were are really good friends. So I, I, I just, you know, I get... I wanted to do something for, for the community rather than just throw money at something. You know, people, ah, give them a hundred dollars. I wanted to try something. So I, I called the senator and I asked the senator what I could do to help to get people to vote. And my initial 
my initial thought, and, and this was in conjunction with, with Mo, uh, was to, to get buses and little vans and run them from community centers to voting polls, wherever, churches, and that's what the, uh, the senator uh, came up with and, and his uh, legal representative. But every, every time that I had a thought or I talked to Mo or every, COVID was, it was COVID, 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 COVID. So then I said, all right, how do, what do I do here? So I was watching the TV and I keep thinking, I'm, I'm watching vote. And I see people saying, vote, vote. So Bob Cooney's a real good friend of mine who's on uh, The Fanatic in the morning and was a beat writer, as you well know. Tom, you know him for years. He helped me contacting people. So I started to call people and ask them if they would just send me a five-second video saying vote. And the community is just awesome. I mean, I, I, I was cold. I didn't know. I, I was completely out of my league. I didn't, I didn't know. I know refereeing in the NBA. I don't know that kind of stuff. And every person that I went to, it was just awesome. Like yourself. Tom, can you help me? Yeah. Bang. Video. D-line him. Can you help me? Yeah. Bang. Video. Dawn Staley, can you help me? Bang. Video. It was, it was unbelievable. The coaches in Philly, Malik Rose, Gene Banks, Kevin the Gandhi. I mean, all Philly, it was just fabulous. I had more fun doing it. And, and it wound up, as you saw it, and I tried to get legs on it, where, you know, trying to put it on social media and things like that. But again, I'm out of my lick. I, 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 you know, so we, we tried and, and it's, it's gotten some legs. A lot of people have seen it. You know, this, the, 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 the same with you. A lot of people, you know, say, how about Tom again? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it, was all, it, was, it was just fun. It was, it was really good. And hopefully, hopefully it has some type of impact. And, and if you can get five people to see it and say, you know what, I got, I got to register. I got to vote. That's awesome. It's awesome. Well, on my platform, I got a little bit more than five, but it might have just been tens of people's uh, in terms of life. Stop, stop. But listen, and it was, it was tremendous. And the, the league, the NBA has done a terrific job. All of the franchises, many of which have made their facilities available for voting places, some of which have been accepted by local municipalities and others. Not the NBA Players Association. It's been incredible. Chris Paul and the teams have done a great job in terms of the players bringing awareness. But why does this mean so much to you? Like, what what made you take action in this regard? That's a great question. Uh, great question, Tom. I don't know. I I, I guess in my older age, I uh, you know when you're, you know, I've been in refereeing in the NBA since I'm 25. Now, when you retire, and now I'm working in management, and I work, you know, as you well know, our, our, our life is a grind. And uh, I said, you know, I just wanted to do something other than basketball related. I mean, I, I get it that it was basketball related. I re reached out to my basketball friends, but this was deeper to me. I guess my my family. I have. Uh, my family's um, a very mixed family. I have uh, two um, African-American son-in-laws and seven African-American grandchildren. And um, 
I, I just wanted to do a little more. I, 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 um, and that was my way of giving back. You know, I just, I'm seeing what's happening in, in, in our country. And I just, I just think that this is a way for, for, um, for me to help. I, like I said, I'm completely out of my, when I, when I stop talking about offensive fouls and three seconds and stuff, I get, I get a little shaky. <laughs> I, it's not talking about voting and politics and social justice is, is, is not um, um, my expertise. I mainly listen, but it, it was, I just wanted to give back a little bit, Tom, to be honest to me, that, that's really the honest uh, uh, answer. And it's personal and that's what makes it special. That, that is so cool. And speaking of personal, we'll get into your professional career. As you said, you ref for 39 years in high school and the old Eastern Basketball League, but it was in your blood. Your father was a major league umpire for, again, over 25 years. Shag Crawford, your brother. What was it like growing up with a father who had to be on the road and thus not at home as much as a guy who drove into Center City and worked nine to five? What was it like to have your dad being up in the bigs? Again, you, 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 you did your homework. I, um, I thought everybody did that, you know? My, my dad was a street guy, uh, Tom. He was a guy that came back from the war and didn't, uh, he, he was an old minor league catcher before he went away to, to, to the war. And then when he came back, he started watching he was trying to pick up a couple extra bucks. He was uh, delivering ice and delivering milk, you know, working in a factory, you know, two bedroom row home in Philly. Um, and he, he was watching the games, you know, back in the day, baseball was the thing, you know, back in the forties and the fifties. And he watched local leagues and he said, I can do that. And he took up umpire. And uh, I think he was he was making like a dollar, dollar fifty a game, you know. And it was totally different back then. There was only eight teams, I think, in the National League, eight teams in the American League, and and a guy by the name of Goldie Graham. This is wild. Goldie Graham, who was a teacher and a coach at Roman Catholic in Philadelphia, was the manager of Roman Catholic's baseball team. And he saw my father did their games. And that coach knew Johnny Stevens, who was an American League baseball umpire. He wrote him, you know, you didn't have email. Right? He wrote him a letter. He said, I have this kid named Shag Crawford ref, uh, umpiring my baseball games. This kid is awesome. Sight unseen, Johnny Stevens sends a letter to the New York Penn League, which is like the bottom of the minors. Says this kid in Philly's a really good umpire. They send my father a three-month contract. Now, I just came along. It was, it was 1951. He's got four kids, and he goes like this. I'm out. He tells my wife. He tells my mom, I'm gone. He left. So, he, you know, and, and you talked about that years later. I said, Dad, are you nuts? He goes, I did it for all you guys. So he was one of, you know, he was one of those guys, Tom. And I said, how did you know you were going to make it? And he always referred to himself as the shagger. You know, he was Shag Crawford. He goes, he said, the shagger has it. <laughs> I, just, I used to cry laughing at him. 
but he did. And he did have it. And that passion he had, he conveyed to me and my brother about officiating. Sometimes to a, to, to a higher, you know, too much passion. And, um, but that's where it came from. It was, it was all him. You know, it was just watching him daily, what he did. I, he was never home. I didn't know him. I, honest to God, Tom, I, I, I didn't know my dad. Because when I was 18 years old, I was out of the house. I started up refereeing. I was in the, going to the Eastern League, doing high school games, made the NBA at 25. I really didn't know my dad. I didn't get to know him, unfortunately, until later in life. But he was a passionate man and he can, about his profession and he conveyed it to his sons. Didn't you get to go sit in the umpire's room while he was rubbing the sheen off the baseball with the Delaware River mud? And when he came to Philadelphia and go out on the field pregame and get around the cage and those types of things that we think of and somebody in baseball would get to do? Yes. Uh, when he worked the Phillies, that was my time to be with him. 10, 11-year-old kid. I mean, Tom, picture this. I mean, I start crying even when I start thinking about it. 10, 11-year-old kid, I meet Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. I tell these stories to people and they go, you met who? I said, yeah. I said, I was a kid and my father was a very professional guy. He didn't let you down on the field. But if he saw them in the back where the locker rooms were and you couldn't ask them for anything, you couldn't say, could I have Mr. Mays? Could I have an autograph? Because he, he, he'd say, don't you do that. So he would call you over and say, come on over and meet Mr. Mays. But can you imagine, Tom? Can you imagine? And, and that, was, that was the great part about it. And then two days later, you didn't see him for two months, <laughs> three months, whatever it was. We'll have more of my conversation with Joey Crawford after this. In this time of social distancing, NovaCare Rehabilitation is offering physical therapy from the comfort and safety of your home through their new tele-rehab program. NovaCare will virtually bring their services to you so you may heal, build strength, and get back to the things you love. Tele-rehab lets you easily connect with one of NovaCare's licensed therapists through web-based technology that is HIPAA compliant. For more information, visit NovaCare.com. And now back to my chat with Joey Crawford. Let's get into your career. So you start in the high school ranks right there in the Philadelphia suburban area. You went to Cardinal O'Hara. Right. And how did you make the transition to get into the Eastern, Bas Eastern Basketball League, which was the predecessor to the CBA and what we now know as the G League, the development league for the NBA. And that began, uh, you know, your baby steps, if you will, toward becoming an NBA referee. Yeah. Uh, another great question. I was um, when my father used to take me to games like back in the day, which you guys will remember, the NBA had double headers. So they have a double header down in convention hall. My father in the winter time was driving an oil truck, but if he would get tickets, we'd go down. But because he was an umpire, he would say, that's Mendy Rudolph. That's Earl Strom. That's Richie Powers. I just kept watching them. And I said, man, I like that. Because I knew he would tell me, Joe, he had a, a huge respect for the players because he knew how hard it was to get to that level. So he said, Joe, you can be, you can only get, 
get to be so good, you know? And, you know, why don't you think about it? So as I'm 15, man, I, I wanted to be an NBA ref. And that's a sick, sick statement. I, 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 but I tell people that all the time. So I was 18 years old and I started. I started doing the kids' games. Then I got into the Baker League in Philly, which was a, a godsend. And that got me, Sonny Hill gave me some games. And then I, I got used to working pro players. And I had a tryout in the Eastern League and I was in heaven. I was in heaven. I mean, you're going to Allentown. It was a weekend league. It was Allentown, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Hartford, Connecticut. And it was just awesome. You know, you could call an offensive foul like Mendy Rudolph called an offensive foul. I didn't have, you didn't have to put your hand back there. You could call it, you know, punch your fist out. They had threes back then. You called a three. You know, in the, in the Eastern League, they had a three before the NBA had a three. And it was just, I just loved the whole pro environment. And they scouted you. They would, my scout that scouted me, you hand wrote your schedule and you send it to the NBA office. They only had like 10 people in the NBA office back then. And Sid Borgia was my scout. And he would scout me. And he'd come to these places and watch me ref. And then when I was 25, the NBA brought me in. Very well, you bring me to a, a subject area that I was going to get into. Right. But let's get into it now because you just mentioned yeah. some of those names. And I grew up watching the NBA at, at that time. But Mendy I, Rudolph and, yes. and Earl Strom and Sid Borgia. Sid Borgia. And uh, even Daryl Barrettson. And you I had it too. And that was yeah. the flair of the call. I mean, your deal was with the traveling. You know, you would do the – the motion, almost like the Flintstone steps and then the walking. <laughs> and I get how the NBA and the refereeing and the attention that you guys put into it. I actually want to delve into that because there's so sure. much. Oh, any, anything, Tom, go. Sure. For yeah. the referees, but not now. But just that flair, and I get it too, that the people don't come to watch the refereeing, mm -hmm. but now it's so automated and there's all these signals. And like I'm saying, I'm not saying it's, it's actually better. Oh. No. But there was a flair that, you know, people are like, oh, this is that one ref. It's like an umpire who yeah. has a certain strikeout call or a, yeah. a punch out. It brings a, a little bit of a fun dynamic to the mix, and that's that's missing a little bit. Speak to that if you would. I, I will. It's a, um, oh, we got to remember that back then there was there were very few NBA teams, and there was only two refs. So what happened is you would see Earl Strom more, the fans. You would see Mendy Rudolph, the fans, Richie Powers, Jake O'Donnell, Daryl Garrettson. I could go on and on. Joe Gushu, Eddie Rush, all these guys, Hubert Evans. They, and you saw them constantly, and the fans got to know them. And they all did have their – the mechanics taught back then – because I came in at 77, is completely different than what we teach today. Today, we don't tell people not to have some kind, some kind of flair. You have to have personality because you have to be able to interact with Doc Rivers. You have to be able to interact with Joel Embiid. You can't have a referee that goes out there and has no personality. We teach referees. Have conversation with referees. Right. What I, excuse me, with players and coaches. But what happens is the younger ref, because 
you know, being in the job that I have today where I'm, I'm doing a lot of teaching and I get to a lot of arenas, coaches and players will talk about younger refs having no personality and they're arrogant. And I try to tell them they're not arrogant and they do have personality. They're just young and they don't know what to say. And, and they're told, hey, keep your conversations t- to a minimum because really younger refs, nobody uh, believes what they said. They didn't believe what I did for five years in this league. So, but, but to get back to your point, Earl Strom and those guys were just accepted. Ah, that's Earl. Oh, that's Earl. Because I used to get it at the end of my uh, – and, and I didn't like it, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's Crawford. He does that all the time. He ejects that guy. Yeah, that's Crawford. That's all. But really, it, and, you, and you get it and you laugh at it. But the younger people, honest to God, Tom, I tell this, and nobody, nobody believes me. Our younger people that are coming into this league in the last 10 years are so, are so good. These people have been looking at referees on the internet and watching since they're 10, 11 years old, and they're getting, they're good. The, the problem is, is that they're not known. We now have what? We have 30 teams. People are working 65 games to 82 games. There's three referees per game. Sometimes they don't, they won't see a franchise maybe twice a season. So people don't get used to them. They don't, they don't know them. And, th- and that's, that's unfortunate because we have a lot of talented young, young referees. You bring up uh, so much that I want to delve into. And, and one is, as you say, talented and young and quality people. I've known James Capers since I went to college at Northern <laughs> Illinois. We, we actually played on the same Barrel basketball team. Told me that, yeah. yeah, Tom Washington and our buddy Mark Wonderlich exactly. refereed our game seven in the CBA finals when lacrosse played Rapid City. Exactly. Look it up. Anyway, and those two guys obviously went on the long NBA careers. Tom Washington is still in the NBA. Sure. Uh, and they're police officers and guys that had other careers, probably why they were refereeing. Good people. It, there's so many. And as you say, we don't get to know the referees, but there's a lot of quality people. And that foundation lends itself to be a successful professional, in this case, in the world of officiating. Talk about that. As our PR people know, and they're doing a great job, they're doing a much better job. Let's go back. Daryl Garrison didn't think, and he was our boss for a number of years, didn't think that the referees should be out and that everybody should know who they are. And, but the NBA is doing a much better job of putting the people out there and telling, listen, these guys are just like you and I. They're really good people, and they are hard, as you well know. Another thing, which is very interesting, is that, like you said, you came through that CBA. You knew Tommy Washington. You knew Mark. All those guys were coming through there. And the same thing with the, the developmental league now. Most of our people, not most of them, all of them are coming in from there. So if the players and the coaches are down in those minor leagues, that's why baseball really doesn't have that big of a problem with their umpires because all of them have come up together 
through that through that system. What happens is a lot of our players that come in to our league are drafted. They don't go down to the to the G. You see what I'm you see what I'm saying? There's a big difference, Tom, when you do things together and you're going through that that grind together. Now you have like when we were in the Eastern League, Charlie Chris was an old time a small guard. I remember, remember him, Tom? Yes, from the Atlanta Hawks. Yep. Yes, and when he got into the league, the refs who were down in the Eastern League was Pavetta, me, Jackie Meese. We all went. That's awesome. Charlie Chris got in the NBA. You were happy for one another. Do you know what I mean? But our, our, our system is, is a little different because we have the college. We get our players from college. They don't know Joe Crawford. I tell this story all the time. It's a funny story. Jamal Crawford, Joe Crawford. Jamal comes in from Michigan. It's his first time I got him. He doesn't know me from Adam. He's in the layup line. He's got him. He looks at me. I said, it's before the game. I said, what's happening, cuz? So he looks at me like, what the hell's the matter with this guy? So I snuck up to him when he was on the bench during the first time out. I said, listen, I wasn't being disrespectful. I said, my name's Crawford. Your name's Crawford. And I said, it was a little, like a little joke. Honest to God, Tom, it took maybe five years. Every time I walked out into the court, Jamal Crawford would go, what's happening, cuz? You, you know, so familiarity does breed like you, you get to know one another. You, you know, you respect one another. And that's what this is. Refereeing player, referee coach is all, it's a, a respect. And, and, and everybody looks at me, because I, I always say, I said, look at us, Tom. You may say Joe Crawford just screwed the hell out of that call. It's okay. That's part of your job. You got to say that. But I'm not, I'm not holding anything against anybody. You know, you have a conversation. Our, our league is a family. It really is a family. And I tell people that all the time. And they look at me, ah, you're just giving it the political crap. But it is. It is. It's a family. I agree. And never more than now with yes. all that, uh, I agree. that's being done. Joe, when I hear you talk about your father and kind of the break he got where, you know, somebody like out of the blue, as you said, sent a letter and that began his professional umpiring career. It brings to mind how you've mentored and discovered referees, specifically from our area, the Delaware Valley, uh, Eddie Malloy, Mike Callahan, Mark Wonderlich. I mean, Mark, if, I, if Mark's story is accurate, like you found him refereeing in the summer, if I'm not mistaken, I did, yeah. one of the parks there over by Havertown, <laughs> and helped, you know, and, and Mark, like you, with the knee injury, had to eventually get out, and he's now with the refereeing program. Sure, we worked together. That how, you know, you help be like a, a shepherd, if you will, a champion, a mentor for these young referees that have gone on to be tremendous NBA officials. You know, it, it, thank you, Tom. That's a hell of a compliment. Um, you know, I was a 19-year-old kid, and I was working CYO basketball around the Philly area. I had a metal whistle. And who shows up at my game? Jake O'Donnell. At our mother, a good counsel, out on Lancaster Avenue. I'm refereeing by myself. There's three people in the gym. And who walks into the gym but Jake O'Donnell? And he sat there for an hour and a half and watched me ref, and that during timeouts talked to me about refereeing. And then at the end, he gave me a whistle. 
a regular plastic whistle. And, um, you know, I get queasy about that just thinking about it. But that's what happens in Philly because somebody did it for me. Somebody calls me up. I go watch them ref. I watch them ref. And I know it's part of my job and I do it, but I watch refs. I don't know anything else, Tom. I don't know coaching. I don't know broadcasting. I don't know play. I'm a ref. That's what I am. And I love it. And I want people to get better. Now, where it gets a little crazy is, is that people always want to know if am I an NBA ref. And I flat out tell them, no. Now, some people will say, well, Joe Crawford, it's political. He got this. I am not. I have told hundreds of people, you are not an NBA ref. Duke net was an NBA ref. Mark Wunderlich was an NBA ref. Eddie Malloy is an NBA ref. That's what I am. It's been my life. But I, I'm consumed with refereeing. I'm consumed with it. I, I can't get it. I remember Doug Collins making this statement, and I, I said, wow, he doesn't understand how similar we are. When he was coaching, I don't know what team he said, when he goes out to dinner, he's sitting there with his wife, he's thinking about plays. And my wife always says to me, she said, are we going to talk about refereeing again? And I always go, yes, uh, yes, we are. anything else but you know you got me tom you got it's it's a it's a curse but it's it's a it, it, it's been so good to me that i can't get it out of my system well you're more than just a referee you're a father and a grandfather your daughters amy megan and aaron i'm going to assume played basketball because and again we know a lot of the same people in yes. delaware county and yeah. you've done so much for girls' basketball, women's basketball. And for those that don't know, the Philadelphia area and the history of women's basketball is just second to none in the incredible. entire country. Incredible, yeah. You've got a lot for girls' basketball. Talk about that, your involvement, helping to advance the sport and help young women in our sport of basketball. You know, I, had, I was just like uh, – all the other males back in the day about, you know, men's basketball and I can't watch women's basketball. But then my kids started playing, you know, third and fourth, fifth and sixth grade. So I got involved and I just started going to the games, obviously, and asking players and coaches, what about this drill, that drill? So there's a woman's um, AAU organization called the Comets and it's and it's really evolved into a, a, a big deal. And um, I got involved. My one daughter played, who's married. My one son-in-law is the assistant woman's coach at LaSalle. And that's my one daughter, Megan, is married to Chris Day. They have five children. And Megan was the first one that got involved. And they played. And then they went to O'Hara, which was a hotbed. I mean, what was better than Cardinal O'Hara women's basketball? you got to be kidding me. And I just liked it. So we started a, a league out where we lived in Havertown, and the kids all played. And there was another league that our good friend Terry McNichol and, and his, his great wife, Mary Beth, had uh, the Billy Lake uh, uh, ALS league. And got involved. I mean, and that's what it was. It was just getting involved. And I found out 
basketball is basketball. It really is. It's, it's awesome. And all the people that I've gotten to get, you know, I've gotten to know my, one of my best friends in the world, Harry Peretta, the women's coach at Villanova. And uh, it, it's just been, uh, it's just, I just love it. To be real honest with you, I love it. I haven't been able to get in the last few summers as involved as I wanted to, because the job, the, the job that I have now for the NBA is, there, is, you know, you go to Vegas you're in Utah for the summer leagues. So that's when the AAU stuff is really hot and heavy. And I haven't been able to do much in the last three or four summers. But um, I love that game. I love the women's game. I really do. I really do. It's basketball. It's awesome. It's basketball. Right. It's come a long way. I remember well, yeah. uh, a, from my time in the CBA, my first stint was in Iowa. And they had that deal where they had six players and three run offense and three run yeah. defense, and they would right. only be able to go to the midcourt stripe, and then they'd have right. to wait for the ball changed hands. And I want to say they were in skirts. I could be wrong about. They did. That. My my wife played. My wife played for Cardinal O'Hara, and she was like one of the last teams. When I said I said Mary, you have that skirt still? <laughs> ah, well, you might look good in that skirt. <laughs> And then the other thing was when I was in college and I played at uh, what's now yeah. Benedictine University in suburban right. Chicago, just for yeah. two years, not much made of our I you and I talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then I, this is kind of how I got into the media, if you will. I, I wrote for the student paper and ended up transferring to Northern Illinois awesome. to be a broadcaster. But for the student paper, I swear, I think I got paid $3 and 25 cents. And one of my jobs for the public relations department, which was then in the student paper was to cover the women's game. And so I'd be, you know, yeah. take a shower from our practice and they'd have a game or whatever. And I'd watch it and no kidding, like all 10 girls would be in the lane. We had one really good player. Right. Nobody was beyond their tippy toes. Right. And I was like, oh man. But clearly <laughs> the game has really advanced oh, and the W is unbelievable. And it is. I'm like I, you, I, I love, love college I love basketball and you know, I, I remember going back to 1996 with the women's team in Atlanta and getting to know Dawn and all those sure. women as they played the USA basketball. So it, it's incredible. I mean, it's a great uh, game. It's a great game. I, I really, really love it. Really love it. Yeah. Well, let's get into just a little bit about your NBA refereeing. You still, I think, hold the record for the most playoff games ever officiated, almost 450 finals games, 39 years. That's incredible. But so there's so many ways to go here. Um, but I remember, you know, a lot. And one thing was uh, you we, were in the, we were in the Meadowlands and it was the New Jersey Nets and the Sixers. And so it brings up the larger issue of like when a coach wants to get thrown out and, you know, the average fan would be like, what? But in this case, um, people don't remember, but John Calipari was actually a Sixers assistant for a little while yes. before getting back into college. And this would have been right after the Nets let Cal go and Larry and John went back all the way, I believe, to Kansas. Yes. And they were so devoted. Cal takes a job on the Sixers bench and the Sixers are pretty good. And so this would have been in the 90s, I suppose. And um, Coach Brown, you actually worked the game, and you gave Coach Brown a technical early. Like, it takes two to get tossed most of the time, so you had to get that out of the way. And I don't know if I'm uh, spilling the beans talking out of school, but and I used to sit right there, and it was a younger official that you were working with at the time, and Coach Brown said, he said, well, I tell you, strong official wouldn't make that call. And boom, you just insulted me, you're gone. So I think it was what Coach Brown 
maybe wanted that night, whereas Cal was coaching the Philadelphia 76ers against the team down there, the Nets, that had just let him go. So you must know, I'm not saying you knew all about that, but you can tell, it's like in baseball, when the manager wants to get run. How do you see that when you see this guy and you're like, well, what's going on here? And you end up having to whack him and get him out of there. But when you see that coming down the pipe. Yeah, it's, again, you know what, Tom? I've done a lot of, that's a tremendous question. It's never been asked to me. I think the coaches, especially guys like Larry, they know when they want to go. They know. They know when they want to go. And a lot of times people get, not angry, but people in our league sometimes don't think that referees should talk about pregame because they meet at 11 in the morning and then they, in their locker room, and they talk basketball. That's their job. They talk basketball. And you can tell when that coach is angry, coming off a losing streak, guys aren't playing, they're tired, they're on a long road, road trip. And you know, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, where did that come from? Now, you, all, why did that happen? <laughs> and then, you, then it hits you. Oh, my God, they're on a five-game five trip. They've lost four out of the five. There's where it came, you know? And you throw. Because that co- the coaches know. They know what they want to get thrown. I tell this story all the time. Johnny Bach, God bless his soul, the old assistant coach in our league and Penn State head coach for them. Wonderful, wonderful guy. And we have an axiom with referees. We have, we have an axiom that referees have about guys like Johnny Bach who don't get tees. Joe Gashu is the one that started it. He says, you never make a good guy a bad guy. So as soon as you hit somebody that never gets teased, they usually get bad, you know? So Johnny Bach is, I think he's coaching Chicago or Golden State at the time. And he saunters on up to me and it, during a timeout and he says, uh, Joe, throw me, I'm going to bring the ball back in. I said, you want to go? Johnny, you sure? And he goes, I want to go. I said, but I just can't make it up, John. You got to call me something. He says, I'll forgive you. He says, just like, you know, the Catholic Church, I'll give you an absolution. He says, no problem. So the play starts. (laughs) He calls me what he calls me. I whack him and I throw him. And it was, (laughs) he just was angry at his team. I guess, or maybe somebody told him that he ne- he didn't get ejected that year. But there are so many different things that that you know are going on in teams. But something will happen, Tom, and you'll look at that coach or that player, and you go, "That's coming from outer space." This player or coach doesn't have that type of personality, you know. And you just do your job and you throw them out, you know. But sometimes coaches and players want to go. Now, we're not going to the press. We're not going to the press. Nobody's going to, I'm, not, I'm never going to tell anybody Johnny Bach wanted to get thrown. I'm not going to do that. You know, it's going to come out a couple years later, or, or John may even say, John may say, yeah, I, I told Joe to throw me out. 
Johnny was a renaissance man, a painter. Wasn't he? Quality he, people in the NBA. How about him? That was a war hero. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he was a just an awesome dude. Awesome guy. Um, and this is kind of jumping around and now getting back into your current role a little bit. And so many of you guys that have come off the floor are now in the, shall we say, hierarchy of the NBA refereeing, like Monty McCutcheon, like Jason Phillips, uh, like Joe Borgia and Mark, we mentioned earlier, Mark Wunderlich. Mm -hmm. And the focus and attention has never been more on the referees, the education. And you guys have always had a camp, but these guys are so thorough. Uh, you know, you'll see them with a notepad at, at center court and a, a player will come over and say, I, I don't know, you might have missed that. Take a look. And they'll look at video at halftime. Yeah. And I know you guys go into the locker room, their refereeing locker room after the game. Sure. And you've broken the court down in quadrants and sections and there's acronyms. And sometimes I think that, that gets, and I suppose with experience, it eases a bit. But like I can remember in years past, it was just so much. You could almost see where a referee got brain locked because there was so many things to consider. But that's an aside. In general, I mean, there's just so much information and, you know, like I said, available, especially with video now and how easy it is. But speak to that and like sure. what it's come to in the NBA with the officiating. Yeah. It's um, when I first came into the league, you refereed the way the, crew, the lead referee was back then. It was a two-man system. So if I didn't referee the way Daryl Garrettson wanted me to referee, he'd go off on me. If I didn't referee the next night with Richie Powers the way he refereed, he'd go off on me. I mean, go off. And Earl Strong, same thing. They, they'd holler at you. They'd scream. They, it, it was awful. So the system evolved. Evolved, excuse me. The system evolved. So now there's a system. And the wonderful thing about it is, is that everybody is in, we're all together now. It's, we're all teaching the same thing from the WNBA to the G to the NBA. So everything is in concert. So by the time that referee gets to that NBA level, those mechanics and those things he's supposed to do are like second nature. Now what's, what changes that is in those first five years of that younger referee is pressure and duress. You're not getting that same pressure and duress in the G. You're not getting it. You're not getting it in Las Vegas. You're not getting it in, the, in Utah. You're not getting it in the summer. So in the NBA, we have to be able to hire that person we believe has that, that 10 years, you can look and go, you know what? Five years from now, that kid is going to be awesome. Just as the same thing they do with players. It's the same exact thing. And most of our referees are so good by the time they get here with mechanics and, and, and things like that. It's no problem at all. It's just, you know, getting comfortable getting to be able to, the crowds, the people that are players, you're dealing with grown men here now. You're dealing with grown men who are not going to just go, I, I couldn't believe it my first couple of years in the league, Tom. When I put my hand up for them to stop talking, they didn't stop talking. They kept coming. You know, 
And they did. They just kept coming. They weren't that, that didn't stop anybody. So what you have to do is that experience level is huge for our younger people. And, and they're, they're really good. Like I said, our younger people. I don't even know. Monty McCutcheon is, is a teacher. He's a teacher. And we are his assistant coach. That's, that's how it works. So we are all, he's, he's not a dictator. So we all get an opinion, but we're all teaching the same stuff night in and night out. That's where I was before I got on this call. It was a training session on our new system for our phone, where if I'm watching a game on October 8th, and Zach Zarba's worth watching that, uh, refing that game, the game that he worked on October 6th, I can go into this phone, pull up the game, pull up the plays that that DA, or that, that's what I'm called, a developmental advisor, and has in there that Zach did real well, or maybe Zach needs some help on. Now I look for that. Now it's looking for all the patterns. It's, it's absolutely awesome where it's come i mean it's absolutely awesome and and the nba they want their referees they, they're looking for perfection but they're going to wind up with excellence is what they're going to get you never get perfection but we're getting there we are getting there and it's not going to and it's not going to stop it's just going to keep getting better and better i want to answer your that. question i know it was a long-winded answer but did it answer it tom it did okay. well i might have and I won't keep you. You've been great and, no, no, no. and gracious and really whatever, good uh, conversation. Whatever, whatever you want. A um, couple more things, and I'm going to have to ask you to indulge me a little bit later because I have a long history with referees. But, <laughs> uh, Doesn't make you a bad guy. <laughs> as a high schooler, maybe a little bit flippant, yes. It's okay. Uh, but in a moment. So just real quickly, uh, we talked about the road with your dad and with yourself. Like, you know, you guys repped almost a, an entire 82-game season, but you're not on a charter jet. You know, you're not at the top hotel. You try to stay away from where the teams are in terms of congregating and whatnot. You wear the black hat a little bit in the perception of the fans. And it had to be lonely a, a little bit, I would think, and to be – you know, out there solo, uh, speak to that a little bit because, you know, 40 years on the road, and, and I know, but, you know, we're part of a group. What was it like for you flowing, uh, flying solo like that? You know, you're, you just get used to it. It's 20, 25 days a month. And then when you're living in Philly, obviously where I do, you have Philly, Washington, New Jersey, New York. So you can get to your bed that night. Okay. Um, it it is, you, but you get used to it, and then um, uh, sometimes you're with referees on consecutive games. But it's like a job, Tom. You well know it's like any kind of job. Some people you really get along with well, and some people you just okay. See you, see you tomorrow. See you at the airport. You know, and that, there's nothing personal. It's just your job. It's 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 you know, it's just what you do. But the, it's it it does get. I, I later in my life, I, I became a movie guy, you know, and I would go to the movies or things like that. So I tried, then the computer came into Vogue, which was bad for me because then, then I could, then I was getting the games 
on the team. You know, now I'm sitting in the hotel room watching a basketball game, you know, an NBA game. Because I, I, I very rarely, I, I don't watch much college basketball because I'm an NBA guy. I'm watching NBA refs. That's what I watch. You know, even when I was refing, that's what I did. I just watched, I watched games. But uh, the computer, the computer uh, did a lot for guys like us, as you well know, Tom. You can sit in that room, do movies, you know, watch games and things that, that passes the time. Right. The time was, is, is the killer, as you right. well know. And you're, you know, I used to tell people all the time, I, they'd say, how long are you on the road? I said, I said, you know, I check my schedule and I pack. If I, it's eight days, I pack eight pair of underwear. And when the underwear runs out, I know I'm supposed to go home. So I hope they don't call and give me an extra game. That might have been a little TMI, but no, um, no. For me, I, I got to get outside of those those walls. You got to get out. You're one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got to go to a movie. I got to go to the theater and whatnot. Right. But right. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of that, I suppose, is in fact yeah. the same. So <laughs> I was kind of joking about the refereeing, but as a high school player, uh, I went to a high school run by. Benedictine monks, like priests and sure. brothers, yeah. and they would shuffle over in their cassocks and their sandals from the <laughs> monastery, and they had this yeah. little sliver of bleachers that they sat in. Yeah. And old number 34 was swearing out there, like, oh my God, in front of my dad, too. But yeah, I, in the captain's huddle, if I wasn't in there, they were like, you tell them again to shut up tonight, because I just I couldn't contain myself. I got a, a host of teas. Uh, throughout my my three year varsity basketball, you know, Tom, that that they're funny stories though because no matter where I go, it's funny as hell. You could be sitting in the airport, you could be in a restaurant, you could be anywhere, and all of a sudden this guy will come walking up to you. And he has, he has to say, "Remember when you used to work St. Dorothy's games?" <laughs> and I go like this, "Yeah, I remember. I did a lot of them. I remember the time." You threw that guy out. And I'm looking at the guy. I don't remember. And I'll go, I was the guy. <laughs> and I go, I always go to say, I always say the same thing. I always, did you deserve it? Yeah, I deserve it. <laughs> um, and then one time in the CBA, uh, it was much smaller. There were 10 players and the coach. And in my case, in this three uh, year hitch in Lacrosse, Wisconsin, it was the Cappers. And Flip Saunders was a coach, and his assistant coach was Don Zierden. And we had another guy, and of course, Flip has passed, but Trey Schwab, and he passed away too. But there was basically like maybe 14, and I was the radio guy. So it was a lot closer. We all piled into the same van. So after the game, I would go and sit with Flip and talk about the game, and then I'd have to go to his hotel room, and he would go on and on. He would be on the phone with Jim Tooley. I mean, Joe, till like 1 a.m. And, you know, Jim would have to take another call from Eric Musselman. But one time we were in Ohio, and the venues always changed, but oftentimes it was like the exposition center on the fairgrounds or whatever. And that was the case in Columbus, Ohio. So it was a circular building. We lose. They had like Calvin Ramsey or something. We lose. I'm going back to see Flip, and here comes Woody Mayfield and whoever else he's working with. (laughs) I totally knew I shouldn't have said anything, but I'm like, boy, that was a rough one tonight. And he does a Reverse pivot 180, right in my grill. What's your name? And I wish I would have had the savvy to say, well, my name's Mike McIltafish. Of course, I had to tell him. And I come into the room and Flip's like, what? what's wrong? You look a little terse. Uh, well, I just had a little incident with Woody Mayfield in the hallway. <laughs> I guess you're supposed to just be the radio. That's guy. a great story, Tom. That's awesome. 
I yeah, love that yeah. stuff. I love that stuff where people come after you. They, you know, when you, there's nothing you can do. You know, they just come after you. They accost you. They feel good. They feel good about you themselves. It's, it's funny as hell. Well, one time, and this goes back to another league, there was a, it's obviously clearly now defunct, but it was called the World Basketball League. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it was for six, five and under players. And uh, yeah. Youngstown had all the good players, shocking development. The guy who owned the league was down there, Mickey Monis. Anyway, so we played, you know, not, we did play some teams from Germany and Italy and Spain came to the state, yeah. but we traveled to Canada. And one of our games, you went to Saskatchewan and Calgary and Halifax. And one of our games was in Victoria, British Columbia. And we played, it was an exhibition, the Canadian Olympic team with Eli Pasquale and probably Greg Wilcher and yeah. some of those names. And yeah. they were, um, I believe, high school referees. And the game was in a high school gym. And in a shocking twist, they got most of the calls. And the game went to overtime and there was this controversial technical or whatever. And I'm on the radio back to Erie, Pennsylvania at probably like 12.30 Eastern. And, you know, there was like, this, it took a long time. There was no uh, video replay or anything like that. Yeah. So the guy, and I had just some folding table was my broadcast position on the court. And the referee was right there. And I had another headset for the uh, post-game interview. And looking for a little clarification, I, like, you know, offer the guy, would you want to don the headset? And, and, and he does. No way. He gets on the headset. And I'm like, so what, what exactly is going on with these technicals? <laughs> So the, the Dave Gavitt of Canadian basketball, whomever the head of Canadian Olympic basketball, comes down and he slams the table. And I'm thinking, boy, I am in some hot water now. But to your point, he was like, he couldn't believe the official did that on the broadcast. You, so, sorry, we kind of got robbed. We lose the game. And now we're in the airport. Did you tell him, did you tell him on air, you, you, we got robbed? So I was too busy running back to the payphone to make sure we were still on the air back in Erie, PA. Anyway, so the next morning we're sitting at the, awesome. airport, the whole, you know, the whole basketball team, the coach, myself, and we're reading the local paper. And this was just prior to the Olympics, so it said something along the lines of, "Not even American broadcasting giant NBC would have the audacity to interview an official during the game." But right. this guy, it says my name and everything, and I'm like, "Guys, I made the local paper." It, it's amazing when you with those first number of years, I don't know, remember when it was, but we used to go teach, you know, Canadian referees and they'd come to camp in the summertime back in the day when they had the summer leagues in Loyola, Marymount, and all those people would come in and, and Daryl would teach them and we would teach them refereeing. And you were amazed how little they knew. And everybody thought we were bad, you know, and, but, they didn't know anything. Now, they are really good. FIBA and those referees have really gotten a lot better. Now, the NBA has given them a lot of that tutelage, but, but it's, it's, um, they're good. They got some good referees. Well, Joe, I'll let you go. I do want this, though. Uh, if you could, do me the favor of telling Mo Howard, I said hi, because when my first year, as you know, John Lucas was our coach, and Luke and Mo played uh, for the Terps at Maryland. Yeah. And oh man, I, we used to, he was at a lot of our practices and we yes. were at St. Joe's and I, whether it was at the Spectrum later, but I laughed and we had such a great time and I haven't seen him for years. And that's one of those basketball guys. 
in our uh, neck of the woods, if you would, that I would love to reach out uh, to. No, he's, he's, he's the best. They, we're good friends, and he, he, uh, he's just an awesome, awesome guy. He, re he really is. He cursed me out one night down at Baker League. He told, we laugh about it. It was, he, I didn't know him. I'm a kid. I'm only like, I'm down there reffing when I'm 22, 23. You know, and he cursed me. I cursed him back. We're going back and forth. <laughs> now, they're, now we're talking about we're in our 60s and we love one another. It's awesome. It's awesome. Great. Well, I think we set a new record on Tom's talk for longevity. So, Joe, I can't thank you enough. Anytime. Stay well, take care, and hopefully we'll see you in an NBA arena soon down the road. Tom, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Tom's Talks. Look for new episodes throughout the offseason. If you like what you're hearing, consider subscribing to the 76ers Podcast Network feed or giving us a follow wherever you get your pods. And if that happens to be on Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a rating. I'm Tom McGinnis. Talk to you down the road. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.